on this Palm Sunday, it's really good to be with you, even if it is simply through the medium of a camera lens or audio speakers, or for some of you in written text. As I share in a moment my thoughts and reflections on today's reading, I want to first begin by taking a moment to acknowledge the very real complexities, pains, perhaps fears and uncertainties that we're all living through right now. I know some of you are probably fed up. Cabin fever is exhausting. Some of you will feel very flat or alone in your isolation, and those with children probably feel overwhelmed. Many I know feel lost without a routine of normal life, with no connection to friends or family, no hugs or handshakes or little human contact. And we know too, for some, the tragedy and loss will be unimaginable. And woven through all this, the relentless war-to-war news updates, briefings and statistics can be both gruelling and really fear-provoking. To all of you, I want to simply remind you that he is with you. And always, whatever our season, whether basking in the glory of a mountaintop moment or passing through the valley of the shadow of death, he is with us, with you, always. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. You know, every time I lead a communion at St Thomas of Becket preparing the bread and wine at the altar, I always look up into the painted face of Jesus depicted on the wooden screen in front of me. Yes, it's somewhat sentimental, a little bit shampoo advert in style, but nonetheless it's an affectionate and tender painting of Christ as the Good Shepherd, warmly leading and guiding and holding his flock. The Lord is my shepherd, David says. And we echo his cry along with him, affirming that because of this truth, I will fear no evil. Last week, a really close friend of mine wisely observed that we really should, as followers of Christ, perhaps should stop using the word isolation and maybe replace it with solitude. Solitude is a really positive spiritual discipline. It's the place of deeply encountering God and dwelling in his house, abiding in him. So in this season, I urge you to not simply feel you're called to survive, to get through, to daily live battling away fear from dawn till dusk. Rather, I think the good, good father wants us to experience something far better than that, better than just survival. He wants us in these days to thrive in him, to rediscover him with an unparalleled level of friendship and closeness, to find again the fullness of life that Jesus spoke of and offers to us as we truly abide in him. Teresa of Avila, an amazing woman of God, um, a 16th century Spanish nun, gave this profound advice. Settle yourself in solitude and you will come upon him in yourself. In these days, I believe we're truly being called aside to simply dwell in him, to read his word, to meditate on God's character, to worship, to pray, to listen, and to be still and know that he is God. So when you find yourself weak, in the dark, uncertain about perhaps the future, and when all colour and hope is draining out of life, and as the psalmist puts it in his question, why so downcast, O my soul? Look up, just like I do at the old table every Sunday. Fix your eyes on Jesus, your good shepherd, Stick close to him. I can assure you he won't stay six feet away from you. Trust him. Trust in him. Trust that he knows the way through this valley. Let him lead you and guide you. Dwell with him. Rest in him. 
give your burdens, your fears, your family, your neighbours, your community to him. Place yourself, little sheep, into his strong hands and always remember that every valley, though hard and unfamiliar, though full of shadows, is always a pathway to something beyond, to green pastures, still waters, mountain tops. The Lord is my shepherd, our shepherd, the shepherd who became the Lamb of God, the one who, because of his unending great love, laid down his life for his sheep. In him I shall not want. He restores my soul. Isaiah chapter 50 The Sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I do not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? Matthew chapter 21 As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, Say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The NRSV version of the Bible says in verse 10 from today's reading, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil. Today's Gospel reading seems so familiar to me, it's like an old favourite jumper that you put on and feel so at ease and comfortable in. It's a warm, reassuring, well-known story, full of cheering children, waving palm branches, of cloaks thrown down to welcome the coming king, of donkeys and hosannas. 
It's a passage full of joy and exuberance, of laughter, celebration and hope. For me, it's a passage that brings back memories of Sunday school, of colouring in and paintings and palms being waved and happy songs and hot cross buns. Yet, in truth, Jesus is entering the most troubled place in the world. It's a place of struggle, of conflict and confrontation, a place of deception, denial, of occupation and subjugation. It's a place with a history of violence, of idolatry, of adultery, of war and living in and with violence and injustice. It's a place in turmoil. But I'm not talking about Jerusalem or any geographic location, because the most troubled place in the world, then and now, is the human heart. The problem out there is the problem in here. And that's why Jesus rode into Jerusalem. For three years, Jesus had been building his ministry towards this day. For three years, there'd been miracle after miracle, signs and wonders. For three years, he'd healed the sick, raised up the lame, restored the leprous. And he'd attracted one crowd after another, teaching them truths about the coming kingdom of God, setting the captives free, opening blind eyes, both physically and spiritually. And then, not more than about a week before this, he goes to the home of Mary and Martha, Mary brilliantly shared with us last week in her sermon, and there he gloriously raises their brother Lazarus, his dear friend from the dead. So by the time Jesus gets to Jerusalem, the crowd is stoked. It was never going to be a casual stroll into the city for Jesus. He had come to deliberately declare something, that he was the King of Israel, the Anointed One, the promised Messiah, the one who had been predicted for centuries by the prophets. You know, about a year before this, you know the story, Jesus was teaching thousands of people out in the country, a vast crowd. It gets late and the people were hungry, so Jesus instructs his disciples to feed them with a packed lunch of one little boy. The crowd go wild. In fact, they're so impressed that right there and then they try and make Jesus king. John 15 says that when Jesus perceived that they're about to come and take him by force and make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself, alone, in solitude. The crowd sensed then that Jesus had the bearing to be the long-awaited king of Israel, but the kind of king they wanted wasn't the kind of king that God had in mind. They wanted an earthly king, a Roman-bashing, all-conquering, Israel-restoring, white stallion-riding warrior kind of king, and what they got was, well, Jesus on a donkey. And what do you imagine was in Jesus's mind as he rode through the throngs of cheering people? Today's messianic reading from Isaiah 50 gives us an insight into some of what Christ might have been thinking. A passage that, well, any rabbi would have known so well, who would understand its prophetic implications for the agony of those days ahead for Jesus in less than a week. I did not turn backwards. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. This was a journey before crowds of worshipful singing and cheering hearts, a journey that would lead to rejection, cruel torture and death. Try and imagine the contradiction of the day for Jesus. Adulation that in days would turn to accusation, abandonment and execution. I can't help but think that as he was cheered and honoured as he rode the cult and celebrated as the coming all-conquering king, the chosen one, 
as the sun shone in cloudless blue sky and green branches were waved all about him, it must have felt perfect to everyone, almost like Eden. And Jesus, the burden shared by the cult, carries in his heart the weight of Eden's half-eaten apple. That first sinful wrong choice made by Adam and Eve as they approached the forbidden tree, embracing death so many generations before. Now Jesus, the second Adam, the spotless Lamb of God, makes the journey towards another tree, embracing death again, but now as the perfect sinless sacrifice who swallows up and conquers death, rising again as promised. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Having salvation, yet no one understood. Palm Sunday then for me now, perhaps particularly in these days of turmoil, can never be just about waving palms and cheering children. It's weightier than that. Our image of Jesus must never be limited to a cute baby in a manger on a snowy Christmas card, or an airbrushed Victorian gentle Jesus meek and mild, smiling at us from a donkey. A domesticated Jesus who simply makes life happy and easy. Because Jesus isn't a dashing superhero, he's longing to be the saviour of every human heart. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil. That's what Jesus does, he meets us in our turmoil, and often the journey to order and renewal isn't quite what we imagined. It exposes a deeper, often hidden turmoil. All around us, if we look today, we see the symptoms of that turmoil, which fills the heart of humanity that fills our own hearts. Fear and uncertainty about our future, loss of financial security, failing marriage, division between parent and child, a disease that shatters life's plans. Turmoil shakes us and dislocates the way we've always done things. It unsettles and unhinges. And what people long for more than anything else in these days, perhaps, is for things to go back to how they were before. But what if God longs for something better, something higher, and the dislocation and turmoil opens our eyes to our need for proper restoration? A true alignment that we've never known before. Something better, something truer, something utterly liberating. Jesus' entry in Jerusalem inaugurates a holy week of turmoil, realigning people into true community and teaching us the beautiful intimacy and surrender of feet washing, of servanthood, of surrender, breaking and then restoring hearts in ways we never imagined possible. Life from death, peace from turmoil, hope from despair. The turmoil Jesus enters into and engages with is the chaos out of which resurrection life is born on Easter Sunday. This day we remember Jesus' journey, the one who saved others, who healed the sick and raised up the dead on the colt, silently travelling into the very heart of the turmoil, with his face set like flint towards its remedy, the cross. As Isaiah 53 prophesies, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This Easter, so many may question, Lord, why would you be willing to do this? My prayer is that we and you may hear his answer in your hearts. 
because I love you.